going to turn with me to the little book of 1 John. We'll be in chapter 2. I've always enjoyed this little book. Uh, the, um, like I, said, I mentioned to you, I've mentioned it more than once actually, but uh, the phrase that I, in the studying of it that... Uh, that it was called the book. Of, it's been called the book of certainties, and so much of life is very uncertain. Would you agree with me? And you know, if you look back on your apprehensions or the things that make you nervous and scared, it's usually the uncertain things, isn't it? Because then your imagination can kick in, and yet um, God tells us in this little book thirty-eight different times He uses that word "know" that He wants us to know something. And uh, so there's just a lot of precious truths in this uh, little book. Um, It's amazing that I've taught it twice in Sunday school. Um, Sometimes toward the end of the the year, pastor will just say, well, you teachers decide what you want to teach. And over the years of being here, over the 17 years uh, that I've been here, I've taught this little book twice. And both times, people who thought they were saved got saved uh, during that time period because there's so many contrasts that this little book brings up that if these things are in your life, you're saved. It's evidence of it. But if they're missing in your life, do inventory. You know, do a soul search. Don't be deceived. But at the same time, if you know you're saved, if the Scriptures bear out, the fruits that are in your life, you know, be at peace, have the joy. He tells us that he wants us to have joy. And so tonight's verses we'll be looking at uh, in First John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And he says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have, I have written unto you, fathers, because you know him that is from the beginning. And I write unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. We're, as we look at this, God, what he's basically telling us is that God's got a family. And every person that has ever accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is part of that family. And, you know, when we uh, think about it, for us to be part of God's family means God has to look at each one, every one of us individually as his child. Now, every one of us, if we were responsible, when we brought a child into the world, we not only uh, brought them into the world, but we knew we were responsible for them. And our Heavenly Father is a perfect Father. And so it's a neat thing to think about that God, when he sent his son Jesus, knowing who would accept him as Savior, not that he doesn't want everyone to get saved, But everyone who has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, God knew ahead of time he was going to be responsible for you. And he has promised to never leave us, never forsake us, 
David said he's never seen the saints of God beg bread. In other words, God knows the obligations that he put upon himself by offering Jesus Christ to us as Savior, and that if we would accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, he obligated himself to be a good heavenly father. Now, sometimes that also means taking us to the woodshed, doesn't it? You know, those are the things we don't like so much, but we like the fruit of it. But the, the thing is, it's a neat thing to think about that God calls you his child. And this family is what uh, John has had in mind when he's writing these verses and he's dividing this family into three groups. Uh, each represents a different degree of spiritual development. Um, he speaks of fathers and young men and children. They are all in the family. They're all part of the family. Uh, but they're at different levels of spiritual maturity. And it should be um, spiritual maturity should be based. It would be nice if it was based on time as far as a person got saved and now they're a babe in Christ. And we'll study that in a minute. And then they grow into being the young men or young women. And then they grow into the more the fathers, the more mature. But anybody that's been in church work very long knows that there's a lot of folks who have been saved 30, 40 years and they're still a babe in Christ. Because they didn't appropriate the things that were available to them through the Gospels, through the Word of God, to do the maturing that they needed to do. But we see here... um, that before we go on into it, we need to take a little moment and uh, look at and distinguish different Greek words that are used here in these verses that are translated little children. In verses 1 and 12, John uses a Greek word that means born ones. And that basically means anyone who is saved. That's what he's referencing. So in verse 1 of this chapter and in verse 12, when John uses the phrase that we have in English, that's little children, he's talking about, he's talking about everyone that's part of God's family. In verses 13 and verse 18 of this chapter, he's that Greek word that is used there that's translated in English language as little children, is talking about an infant and is talking about spiritual immaturity talking about being a babe in Christ, as we call it. And so John starts by addressing the whole family in in verse 12. And he sits there and he makes a a statement here. We'll read again. It says, I write unto you little children. Now, at this point, he's talking to everyone who's saved, all three groups. The, The ones he'll describe later as fathers and the young men and the children. He's talking to them as a group. And he's, and he's using the phrase, you know, you think of this uh, apostle at this time in his life. He's somewhere close to 80 years old. Um, this is 57 years after the death of Christ that Paul or John is writing. Uh, for those who don't know the deal, but church history basically tells us that John was the only apostle who died a natural death. All the other apostles died as a martyr for the cause of Christ. But he writes, I write unto you little children because your sins are forgiven you. Isn't that an amazing thing? To think about the fact that we're saved. Your sins have been forgiven you. Um, 
you get to thinking about the consequences of our sins are took away. You know, we sit here and we walk through life and we have a certain zeal for witnessing to people. But the, I heard a, a man use an analogy one time. He said if uh, we walked out of this church building and we saw the house next door on fire and we heard some little children in there screaming because they were fearful of the flames, he said there wouldn't be a man and most healthy women that wouldn't be trying to figure out some way to kick in those doors, do something, but to get those children out of there. Would you agree with me? He said the only thing that's different in that situation and all the lost people that walk by us each day is we're not hearing them screaming yet. You know, we need to realize that they've got a terrible place waiting on them, and that's hell. And we need to have compassion because of it. But in our situation, if we've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to realize what we really deserved and what we've been saved from. And that ought to bring some joy. The guilt, the the, uh, consequences of our sin has been paid for on the cross of Calvary. And it ought to bring a lot of joy to us. And also thinking about being saved and the fact that God has made us part of his family, our position We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Do you think God is pleased with Jesus Christ? God the Father? I think he's very, he said he's putting everything under heaven and earth under his feet. Basically, he has told us that if we want to glorify God the Father, we're to do it through Jesus Christ. We're to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father has chosen to receive his glory by us honoring and magnifying his son, Jesus Christ, who was so faithful and obedient to come down even to go to the cross for us. And so everything has been put under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God says that we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. If you stop and let that sink in just a little bit, how much God has magnified us and elevated us and looks at us as, as though we're joint heirs with his son, Now, the thing is, luckily, you know, well, not luckily, but just the fact of the matter is, when we get to heaven, even though God's going to elevate us up, we're going to know why we're there. Because all the vanity, all the pride, all the things that we are guilty of today are going to be stripped away. We're going to be, we're going to know as we are known, the Bible says. So we're going to know what we, we think we know what we deserve now. And we give lip service to that. But sometimes I think our pride in our heart makes us think, well, I deserve this and I deserve that. And when I don't get this, I'm being mistreated. I think all of us are a little guilty of that. And uh, the thing is, though, when we get to glory, we're going to know really what it meant when he said our righteousness is as filthy rags. And because of our knowing that the only reason I'm here is because of Jesus That's the reason we're going to fall at Jesus' feet and throw our crowns at his feet. Because we're going to know God's going to elevate us. We're going to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. But we're going to know why we're there. And and our worship of Jesus is going to be so sincere. Because when we get to see what's in glory, I mean, you you know, you think of if the streets are made out of gold, think what the architecture must be like. 
you know, just to, to, to go to glory and to see it for what it's really like and to know what we really deserved, and yet for the love of Christ, we get to go to heaven. Just think what our worship will be like then, how pure our worship will be, how sincere our worship will be. But God puts it because our sins are forgiven. And then it says the thing we have to always remember is what made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And it says for his name's sake, because of what Christ did for us. God is able to forgive us of our sins, not because we're worthy of it, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. I was reading some commentaries on these verses and stuff, and one of the commentaries says it's a a wise son who knows his father's will. Now, in life, that's wise, isn't it? When you're younger and you know your dad has a real thing about don't do this, it's wise for you to learn that, right? Because it's going to be consequence if you don't. But the thing is, we should learn the will of our father. And the things of this life, are not the things that he's busy about. His will for our life is to be busy about his work. And he promises that if we will be busy about his work, he'll then turn around and be busy about our work. He'll add unto us all those things if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So if you have problems, things that need to be dealt with that are beyond your ability, then seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then God says he'll add all these things unto you. So we see that I write unto you little children, talking about all saved people, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Let me turn a page here. And says, and now we'll look at verse 13. It says, I write unto you fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you young men, because your sins Because you have overcome the wicked one, I write unto you little children, because you have known the Father. As we look at the word fathers, I think it's easy for us to understand. He's talking about mature believers. Uh, He's talking about, twice he uses the phrase to describe these in these verses. Ye have known him that is from the beginning. The word, the Greek word is translated, um, ye have known talks about knowledge that is gained by experience. In other words, you learn a spiritual truth, a promise that God has made, you apply it to your life, and you see God be faithful. You know, the thing that I've I heard many years ago was that when we go through a trial, whatever that trial is, It's not an opportunity for us to show ourselves faithful. But if we will be faithful, it gives God his opportunity to prove to us once again how faithful he is. Because you really don't want to be depending on your faithfulness to get to the end of the day, do you? You want to know how faithful your heavenly father is. But as you allow God to exercise you in these things and you glean experiences... Sometimes there's parts of your life that you're just able to go to sleep on. God's took care of that so many different times. It's here again, but God's took care of it before, and you're able to sleep well at night because God has proved himself faithful to you in these areas. Now, God's always busy growing our faith, isn't he? He just seems to be stuck on that, isn't he? That we're going to have to live by faith. 
And so he'll raise something else up that we haven't quite seen before, and it may raise some fear. If you're not a little bit scared of it, is it a walk of faith? If it don't scare you just a little bit, are you really walking by faith? You know, so God raises these things up in our lives, but it's designed so that if you will be faithful during the storm, based on the promises that you've seen in the Scriptures and you claim those promises, it gives God his chance to prove to you once again how faithful he is. And so these men have gained knowledge by experience. I'm going to change this around just a little bit. The word him, it's in, in the same little phrase, of course, takes us right back to the first verse of the book, which is talking about the him, the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. It is talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. And the father is also the phrase that you would think of with a father is that they've had a child, right? To be a father, you've reproduced, you've had a child. And so one of the things about mature believers that's also a fact is that they're busy seeing others coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. They're busy in the work and they're busy trying to lead others to Jesus Christ. It is a sign of a mature believer. I had a preacher one time make a comment. He said, do you think Jesus Christ ever went more than a day without trying to see somebody get saved? And are we supposed to mimic him? So he says, if you can look back over the last week or two and you haven't, you can't find a time when you tried to turn a conversation around where you could talk about Christ and either invite people to church or share Christ with them. He said, you have to admit to a certain degree of being backslid because we're supposed to be busy trying to see people get saved. And as a mature Christian, that's something we need to be practicing. To be a to be a father, it's gonna. The fact is that we're going to be busy seeing people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Go with me, if you would, to First Corinthians, and we'll go to First Corinthians chapter four. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll look at verse 15. Paul writing here. He's talking about that he was the one who had started this church uh, to begin with. And he goes, For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have you not many fathers. For in Jesus Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. It's talking about that there can be a lot of people who help you mature in Christ, who teach you the basics of the Scriptures, who teach you the deep things of the Scriptures, who encourage you, all these different people, these things that can be added to your spiritual life. But more than likely, there was one person who actually led you to Christ. And Paul was the one who had started this church, and he was reminding them that he was the one who had led them to the saving knowledge of Christ. And the thing is, we need to be mimicking that. We need to be trying to see people come to the saving knowledge of Christ. He also says in verse 14, he talks about young men, and he uses the phrase, 
that ye are strong. You know, as children, or as a child is characterized by emotions and old men by their wisdom, young men are usually known for their strength. And it's not to say that they're more, that, that they're stronger than the mature Christian in the faith, but it simply points out some of their chief characteristics. You, you get to thinking, um, that they become strong, which in the gospel, they become strong in the scriptures, and we'll look at that in a minute. But it enables them to be very busy in the Lord's work. Um, you know, a lot of the people we got right now working in the Awana camps and stuff like that are young people who got saved, who came up through Awanas, became young adults, and maybe not, you know, up in their 20s and 30s, and now they're busy working in ministry. Uh, they've got the energy to do it. Uh, to keep up with the younger ones and stuff like that. Um, but we sit here and we look at their supply as far as why are they strong. And in verse 14 it says, The word of God abideth in you. This is the reason for their development. The word abideth means to reside or come alive. And it's the key to their success. We'll look at the verse again. In verse 14 it says, I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. You have to feed on the word of God if you're going to mature as a Christian. That faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Um, A man named Jerry Vines wrote this statement. He says, What you need to do is to begin a soul-building program. You need to stretch your spiritual muscles by daily reading the Word of God. If you have to miss anything in the morning, miss your breakfast, but not your Bible. Uh, Job basically said the same thing in Job 23 and verse 12, where he said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, if you're going to mature as a Christian, it's going to be because you've absorbed the Word of God. How would you know how to claim a promise when you're going through a storm if you haven't studied the Word of God and knew the promise existed? You know, when you go into your trials, what are you going to cling to? What is it you're going to grab onto when your world gets knocked out from underneath you? What are you going to latch onto? And let that be your guiding rudder or whatever you need to cling to. Well, it's going to be promises from the Word of God that you've heard taught or you've done Bible study yourself. And you cling to the Word of God. You cling to the promises that that God has made, a God who cannot lie. And who has also proved himself to be faithful to you in the past. But is he been faithful to you in the past? If you hadn't been reading your Bible and asking things of him and asking him correctly, you tie a lot of, you know, God's faithful, but we tie his hands a lot of times because we don't go to him. We don't request things from him. We don't request things for, from him properly so that he can do things for others that we care about. And so, but it's through the study of the word of God. Um you know, some folks are, like I said, are saved for years, but they never mature. They never grow in the Word of God because they never study it. And it's a dangerous place to be. We see their success of these um, 
young men. He says, ye have overcome the wicked one. Just think of how many times Satan comes at us on a daily basis and tries to tempt us to handle a situation wrong. What keeps you from doing it wrong? Someone says something and they have no right to say what they said. They're totally in the wrong and you're ready just with the proper thing to say that will set this straight. But will it really set the thing straight or will it just cause such a divide that you could never talk to that person about Christ? Because they would be, their feelings would be hurt, things would, you know, what allows you to handle it right? And it's God in your heart and the knowledge in your heart, but where does that come from? I mean, you get up in the morning, you don't read your scriptures, you don't pray, and the situation happens. Who's likely to win? Self? Or the spirit. I mean, that's the one that comes to the surface first if we're not careful, isn't it? So it's our reading of the scriptures, and it allows us to um, be victorious over the wicked one. Um, the word wicked that's in the scripture, the Greek word there is the word we get our word pornography from, and it means evil in active opposition to good. It speaks of one who seeks to drag everyone down with him. Is that not a pretty good description of Satan? You know, he has already lost the war with the Heavenly Father. He tried to rise up and be equal with the Heavenly Father. He got cast down. And he knows what his end is. So why does he go after us? Why does he mess with us so much? What's his part? If you're saved, can you lose your salvation? You can't. Why, why does Satan mess with us so? That's right. And also because if we mess up and different things go on in our life, it, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the very heart of God. And he knows God loves us. And so he attacks the thing God loves. He wants to hurt God, the Father, and he does it by trying to hurt us. But we can overcome it by knowledge of the scriptures and the power of the scriptures. Um, how did Jesus overcome Satan's temptation? When he was tempted by the Satan three different ways, how did he overcome it? With the scriptures. And if that's what Jesus Christ needed to use, God the Son, do you think we need to know the scriptures? It's what will be our saving grace is in this life. And we're saved, but what will help us through situations is our understanding of the Scriptures and, the, and allowing the Scriptures to work out in our lives. And then the, the last thing that he speaks of here is little children, immature believers. John says of this group, ye have known the Father. And so the thing is, they have come to the saving knowledge of Christ. You know, here they began and here they are. They're saved. They're complete. Once you get saved, you're just as saved as you're ever going to be. Would you agree with me? You're not going to get more saved, but you can get more mature in the Scriptures. You can become a stronger Christian. And so they're saved, they're complete, but they're undeveloped. They're babes in Christ. For time's sake, we won't turn to some other things, but... um, but the thing to remember is uh, we need to keep in mind 
that they are babes in Christ. When we get a new convert, we've had two young teenagers get saved uh, and got baptized this last Sunday. Guess what? They're babes in Christ. And we need to not expect more out of them than what we would expect out of a babe in Christ. We need to give them time to mature. I've seen a a lot of folks sometimes we can put more on a babe in Christ than we should. Um, So we need to be careful that we understand that they're babes in Christ and that we work with them like that. Um, And it's unfair to expect a new Christian to be anything other than that. But at the same time, uh, prolonging maturity can cause some serious problems. In other words, a person who refuses to get into the Word of God, Satan can use them inside the church body to cause grief. A babe in Christ says something, behaves a certain way. People understand they're a babe in Christ. They give them time to grow. You've been in church 10 or 20 years. You may have even elevated in certain positions. You've been seen all these years and stuff, but you refuse to grow. And Satan can then turn around and use you to cause strife in the church. And one of the experiences that I had, um, there was some men in the church that I got saved in who had gotten into evidently some situations 20 years previous. And because of it, they weren't qualified to hold certain jobs. And... They'd raised their families in this church. They'd gone on through this church. And some 20 years later, the thing is, the same pastor was still in the pulpit. And it just bugged them that he knew these problems and that they never would be able to assume certain responsibilities. Although no one else, there have been so many people come and go in a church body over a 20-year period I've been here 17 years, and a lot of y'all weren't here then, you know. And uh, and the thing is, so there was a lot, and this wasn't ever brought up anymore. But as long as that pastor was still in the pulpit, these men were probably never going to be allowed to have certain positions. And they couldn't get over that. They hadn't allowed themselves to get over. They hadn't matured. And a situation came up, and they thought they had grounds to try to run the preacher off. And they started getting on the phone and calling everybody and trying to schedule a, a meeting. And here were immature Christians, 50-year-old men, who were in the church, and they were trying to rip that church apart. Satan was using them because of their immaturity. And so the thing we need to realize is that it is a dangerous thing to stay immature. And all it means is we're not getting on our knees and we're not getting into the Word of God and trusting the Word of God to mean what it says and to put our confidence in it and allow Him to mature us so that we can be the more mature Christians that the Lord can use in the church's work. It talks about here that growth doesn't come as a result of trying. It happens because we appropriate those things God has provided. It is often a slow process and not always noticeable even to ourselves. You know, I don't think we all look back in our lives, if you've been saved very long, 
and say, well, this was the day I became mature enough to do this, and this is the day I became mature enough to do this. It's a process. When the Lord laid it on my heart to be a Sunday school teacher, I was 20 years old. I'd been saved 18 months, and they were wise to put me with nine-year-olds and not here in front of y'all, right? Could y'all under, would y'all feel comfortable listening to a 20-year-old Sunday school teacher preaching to you on Wednesday night who'd been saved 18 months? You know, but the thing is, I, you know, it's a process. But it's a process that should take place. Nothing wrong with being a babe in Christ if that's where you're at because you just recently got saved. But we should grow into those young men, young women, that God can, in the, in the scriptures, that God can put us to work and then mature into the more sustained Christians that can then take on other ministries that need to be done in the Lord's house. Anybody have any thoughts or comment before we close in a word of prayer?